Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. How's everyone doing this morning? Good deal. All right, now, now, now that, that, that's I ate too much turkey clap there. You're thankful for all the turkey you had, right? Well, thanks for being here today with us at Thrive Church. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to say we welcome and we're so excited that you are here because we, we prayed for you. We, we literally, we pray every week for you um, here. Make sure you fill out this card and you can put it in the blue basket on the guest table. We'd like to stay in touch with you. And uh, so uh, feel free to fill this card out for us if you don't mind. Uh, December 14th, something cool happening here. Uh, we all like to eat, right? We all like to hang out. Good. Well, I do. Now, I don't know about y'all. Uh, December 14th, we're having a Christmas party right here um, to just gather together, and, and it's going to be a fun time. If you can, uh, you can make something and bring it. Uh, we have a list at our guest table, and here's what I'm asking. Tell me if you're bringing a meat, a vegetable, dessert, or drinks. I think we're, we're good with desserts. I saw a bunch of desserts there, so Thrive Church or Sugar Junkies. Um, so if you're new here, that's one thing that's very distinctive about us. We're sugar junkies, so um, we've got a lot of desserts coming. But December 14th at 6.30, I'd love to have you guys here. It's going to be a good time to gather um, that morning. One quick thing, too, is pray for Miss Cindy Fuller. She goes into surgery tomorrow. For you guys that do know Cindy, you that don't, just pray for her. She goes into surgery tomorrow morning, and we will uh, keep her lifted up. We had a, a, a if you have uh, kids that are zero to five this morning in the age range, our heater went out. We don't know what happened. I guess Jack Frost came in last night and decided to do a karate kick on it. And so our heater stopped working. We'll have that working next week for our toddler's ministry. We do apologize for that one hiccup. Do you forgive us? Forgive Amen. Okay, good. Amen. We'll turn your Bibles this morning to a Judges 11.1. Judges 11.1 1, and then Romans 8.15. Judges 11.1 1, and Romans 8.15. Judges 11.1. We're going to live in Judges, so keep your finger there once you get done with it because you have to turn back and you'll be mad at me when I go back to Judges again. So make sure you go ahead and put your finger there. If you're like me, you can probably remember the first time you faced rejection. How do you remember the, 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 when you first gave the phone call to the guy or girl and asked them would they go with you? Remember that terminology? Remember the whole go with you? Will you go with me? Anybody, anybody in my generation remembers that? Um, mine was very awkward, um, my, my first instance with this, because I didn't call the girl directly when I was in middle school. I had to call her friend. So I called this girl's friend as, as a middle schooler, and I'm like, will so-and-so go with me? And that's just funny, like, go with you where? We think about it now. It's like, what does that mean? I couldn't even drive. Where would they go? Um, and so she called her friend, and her friend relayed the message back that, no, she didn't want to go with me. That's one of the first rejections I ever faced. It was like, oh, man, because your palms are sweaty, your heart's racing. You're like, man, I just wonder if she'll say, she'll say, uh, say yes to me or not and, and, and want to go with me. Like it really mattered. If you're in middle school or high school, let me give you a very important um, tidbit of information. It doesn't matter. In, in, in 30 years, there'll be an acquaintance on Facebook. You will never remember them. But we can all remember the first time we rejected, right? Or times of rejection. Uh, Dr. Garnett Pike, who taught my master's program at Southwestern Christian University, he shared that in his life he was adopted. And that he faced this idea of rejection his whole life. He went through certain addictions and bondages that he continued to fight. And he traced it back to the idea that he was carrying around this spirit of rejection or this idea of rejection. And here's what had happened. He had been adopted by a great family, the Pike family. 
You know, wonderful. He had grown up, got education. He let the spirit of rejection overcome the greatness of his adoption from his family. And you know what happens to us? Sometimes we let things in this world, whether it be a, uh, an ex-wife or husband or a job or, or friends that reject us, we let that rejection become bigger than the idea that God has adopted us as his children. And the only way you can overcome the spirit of rejection is receiving the spirit of adoption. When you receive Christ, you are adopted into God's family, um, which makes a very another important point before I read the scripture, which means if you're not a child of God, and I'm going to make this very clear, then there's only, there's, only, there's only two daddies you can have in the spirit realm, God the Father or, or Satan. Yep. Amen. So you are literally transferred and adopted into God's family. And he takes you out of the foster care program that Satan has all the people who don't know him in. So you receive the spirit of adoption. So I want to look at uh, Judges 11.1, 1, Judges 11.1, 1, and then Romans 8.15. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but, say but, he was the son of a harlot. That means a woman of the night, a prostitute. Do you get the picture? So Jephthah, mighty man of valor, son of a harlot. Now look at Romans 8.15, and this is going to be the key verses for this morning. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let's pray. God, I ask this morning that you would use me, that you would speak through me, that God, you would make this message real. Father, I pray that every person today would leave understanding that they've received Christ, that they don't have to live with a spirit of rejection, but they've been adopted, that we have a new family with a new name. And we thank you, Lord, that you've adopted us, that you've brought us into your family, and that we can be partakers uh, of your divine nature, God. You're the best teacher, Holy Spirit. I just ask you to teach through me, Lord. Don't let me get in the way. And I pray every heart would receive what is being said today, God. Make them awake, make them alive, make them alert, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this message this morning, we're in a series called Painkiller. So we've, we've dealt with the pain of suffering in week one. That if you've gone through extreme suffering, why does God allow it? What does God want to do in it? How's God working? We dealt with that. Last week, we dealt with the pain of loss. Which I'm going to tell you something. That was the best sermon for me. Because I went home for Thanksgiving and it's the first Thanksgiving without my mom there. And so I kept re-preaching to myself the whole time this, this idea of, of God helping us through loss. This week, I felt really just, I don't know, inspired, you'd say, to preach on rejection. Because we live in a generation that lives with a rejected spirit. And when I say spirit, I don't mean some weird demonic. I just mean that it's an attitude. It's a mindset. That's what I mean when I say that. That people have faced rejection for so long and been so hurt so much that they literally live with this thing clothed on them. They walk with their heads down. They have no confidence. They don't, they don't um, understand how to have self-esteem because they've been rejected so much. And in today's society, it's more than ever before. Why? Because we have these... People on TV, on the on E Network or E whatever it's called, Entertainment TV, that we think if you got to be a certain size and look a certain way, and and we're, we live in a performance-driven society. Why can you say that? I disagree. Okay, well turn your TV on from eight to ten throughout the week. The Voice. anybody, anybody watch The Voice in here? All you unholy people, how could you ever? No, I'm, I'm joking. I watch The Voice too, my wife. But what's the whole premise of The Voice? 
If I'm good enough, they'll turn around and accept me. And then if they're not good enough, then, which all of them are really good on the voice. They're not like American Idol where you have some really bad people that somebody should have told them you should never be singing. You should be working in customer service, not singing. But the voice is, is all predicated upon, I, if I'm good enough, they'll turn around and they'll receive me. And you know that's kind of how our society is. And we're always looking for approval. Some people need approval like they need the air they breathe. Will somebody accept me? Will somebody turn the chair around and say, you're good enough? And Jesus said this, and he said this in the Gospels. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Now, when you understand that verse there, it could, you know, and most of the time, here's how we usually interpret that, right? Are you ready? What does it matter to have all the riches in the world but go to hell? That's how we usually interpret that, right? Which, is that true? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you have all the great houses like these people on, on Entertainment Network. Uh, I'm just picking on them today. And then you end up eternity in hell. Now, I agree. But the Greek there is very important to note that Jesus didn't mean losing your soul like you lose something, like I can't find it. In the Greek, here's what it literally can translate to. What does it profit a person to climb the ladder of success in life but live with a damaged soul in the process? What does it profit to be able to want to have houses and cars and families and, and climb, but the whole time you live with a damaged soul? And you know how that happens? We have damaged souls. A lot of us do. I mean, I know I, know I did, and I still have issues I'm working through every day, is that you get hurt along the way. When that person walked out on you and left you, it's like a, they put a dent or a bruise in you. When that job said, we don't need you any longer, we don't think you're good enough, that put a bruise in you. When that child said, I don't want to come over for Thanksgiving because I don't want to spend any time with you, that put a bruise in you. And we keep getting bruised and bruised. We live our whole life with our souls bruised in some way. And Jesus says, what does it profit a person to live your whole life with this bruised, damaged soul? That's why it's so important to note that when God saved you through Christ, he didn't want to just heal your body and make you physically well because I tell you, the greatest healing you need is emotional healing. And rejection causes us to be emotionally hurt. And emotional healing is one of the best healings you can ever have. It's, it's a cleansing feeling that you may cry for hours, man. I'm telling you, when God began to deal with me, it was amazing. And, and what I want this morning is for us to look and say, Lord, where am I damaged, Dad? And, and how can you help me? How have I been damaged? Because a lot of times, we know what we use church as. Follow me here. We use it to numb ourselves to the society and the problems around us, don't we? But what church should be when you come on Sundays, it awakens you for God to deal with issues in your life because he is the healer. Now, here's what happens. If you deal with a rejected spirit, here's, here's two major ideas that you may live with. Number one is if you have been rejected, you will do whatever it takes to be accepted. You will drink anything, you'll smoke anything, you'll snort anything, you'll say anything. You'll like, if you've been rejected, you'll do whatever it takes to be accepted by people. And you begin to live with this approval that I just wish they would approve of me. You know, the other, other, other way is this. You will determine that no one will ever hurt you like that ever again. Is it, everybody awake in here this morning? Too much turkey? Is this too deep for you after Thanksgiving? Do you guys need a message on Thanksgiving? 
Here's your message. Be thankful. Okay, let's keep going. I didn't need 40 minutes to, to teach on that. But some people will, will get to the place they never want to be hurt again. And they'll never let themselves be hurt like that again. Let me tell you something. Pastors, I've worked under pastors who I've watched them live that out. That maybe they were voted out by a deacon board. So they'll never let a deacon board hurt them again. And so they come in with guns blazing. If you say anything that seems like it's opposing me, I'm just going to go crazy on you. Now, none of you have ever been in those situations before, but I have been under that. And I'm like, wow. But then I've seen churches who've been hurt by pastors. And rightly so, there's just a lot of shysters out there been damaged. And so what they do when they walk into a church, they say, all right, Bubba, let's see what you got. I've been hurt before though. I ain't, I ain't never gonna let my hurt like that again. Then we go into relationships doing that, right? I never want to be hurt like that ever again. And I refuse to put myself in that situation. Now there's one good part with that. You should never put yourself in a dangerous relationship. And if you've been in one, you need to leave it and not get back in it if you've been abused or hurt and those things. But you have got to find healing. Because if you don't find healing from being rejected and hurt, you'll live your whole life with this idea of having a damaged soul. And you'll continue to hit the same cycles over and over and over again. And here's what Romans 8.15 said. Let me read this again to you. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Fear of what? Fear of not being accepted. Fear of, 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 of people hurting you again. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Paul was writing to the Roman church who didn't understand this idea of God being their father. You get this here? The Jews, the Jewish Christians understood it. They had the Old Testament. They knew all about it. But the Roman Gentile Christians followed Greek gods before they got saved. They didn't understand this idea of like God being your loving father. They just thought of him as a story of a mythological creature that would strike you down and he just does stuff, but not an intimate relationship whereby you're adopted. And so that's what Paul's writing to this church here saying, do you realize that you've been given a new name and a new family and that you have a, a new heart? And you have a new daddy. See, I don't, know, I don't know what you face. Let me just say this here. I don't know what you face with your, your father growing up. I don't know what you went through. Maybe he was mean. Maybe he was perfectionistic. Maybe he beat you. Maybe he, he did things. But let me tell you something. Maybe you didn't grow up with a father. But I want to tell you something. That if you're in Christ, you have a new daddy. A new father. And you've been given a new name. And you don't have to live under that fear and that hurt any longer. Amen? Our culture teaches us so, so much that we have to be great in performing and wonder and have people like us before we're accepted. Can I just say this to you? If you're in Christ, you're fully accepted. You don't have to live every day in jeopardy wondering whether or not you're going to end up in hell or heaven. If you're in Christ, God fully accepts you and receives you. That's the best news you could ever have on Thanksgiving. Amen. Now this morning, here's what I want to do. I'm going to walk you through the story of a biblical character named Jephthah in Judges 11.1. So make sure you're in Judges this morning. Judges 11.1. And I want to show you four lessons about overcoming rejection in your life. Four lessons of how to, to overcome it. Now, now, backdrop. Most of you, if I said Jephthah, you probably thought he was a Beverly Hillbilly, right? You're like, yeah, was he on that show? But now Jephthah was one of the judges, which the book of Judges is about, that after Joshua settled the land, they didn't have a king at that point. That was after. So judges ruled. And they weren't like Judge Joe Brown. So they didn't sit behind a thing and, you know, 
handle cases all day. Um, they actually ruled the land. They were great warriors, great, great fighters, things of that nature. And this is how Jephthah came about. And I, I love the story here. But it shows us how to face rejection. And I want to look at four points here. And you can write these in your talk notes that you should have got when you came in today. Um, they're on our table if you didn't get them. And you can fill them in right afterwards. So in your notes, write this down. Look at Judges 11.1. 1, and it says, rejection at some level will happen to us all. Rejection will happen to us all. And nobody said amen because that's not. If I said blessing will happen to us all, we'll be like kicking chairs over and going crazy. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. That means he kept the child. Gilead's wife, who wasn't the harlot, if you're paying attention to this this soap opera here. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Do you just see what happened there? This is powerful. He lost everything. Because it wasn't like you graduated and went to college and got a job in that day and time and then you kind of left your parents' house. They gave you the inheritance. And that was how you survived past your parents. That was how Jews did it in that day and time. I love, I love it because a lot of times we couldn't pass anything but a bad attitude onto our kids. And Jephthah was waiting for this inheritance. And his, his brother said, you're not getting it, bro. You're gone. You get out of here. Could you imagine your family saying, you have no part with us. Leave and never come back again. He lost everything. There was no VCU to go to. There was no University of Richmond to enroll in. There was no John Tyler Community College. He was up the creek without a paddle. Rejected. I know that some of you say, well, that's not me. I've never had that happen. You know, my family doesn't like me, but, you know, I really don't care. And maybe that's where you're at. But you could say at some point we've all faced rejection in some way, some shape, some form. Here's what happens when you, you face rejection. Here's symptoms of it. Number one is the fear of being abandoned. Some people live with the fear of being abandoned. And you're worried that your husband or wife's going to abandon you or people are going to leave you because somebody left you when you were younger. So you fight your whole life to hopefully uh, that nobody will ever leave you. Live in constant fear that those closest to you will leave you. Here's the other symptom. Trying to be someone you're not. You know many of us are, are, are nothing but, but, a, but a facsimile or a cheap copy of the original. We live our whole life trying to be somebody else because we don't really like who we are. I know that's none of you in here. That's probably your neighbor or that's probably like your, your spouse. You need to look at them like that's for you. But for the church down the street I'm preaching to is that that's how they are. They don't like who they are, so they try to be someone that they're not. The need to be accepted. I said that earlier. And then poor self-esteem. I want you to realize that we're all going to face rejection at some level. And, and I know from my life, I face rejection. Before I got saved, and you guys know my story, so you guys that don't will be enlightened a little bit to the story today. You know, I grew up as an extremely obese child. And I also lived in a town called Turkey. That's where my family's from. It's like 335 people or something. It's not very big at all. So God can do great things from small places, what I keep telling myself. <laughs> but I grew up in Turkey. And so mom and dad wouldn't carry me to the movies 
on the weekends because on the weekends they partied and so you don't drive when you party and so they would bring me home on Fridays they would rent me a video game and give me my basketball and I would play basketball and I'd play video games all weekend but all my friends went out and got to go on dates and do stuff and eat popcorn at the movies and hang out and I didn't I remember, I'll never forget when I was in, in ninth grade, all these guys were planning this camping trip in art class. I was like, oh, man, I want to go camping too. And I'll never forget, and I look back on it, and I knew I was, I said, well, do you guys have a radio? No, we don't have one. I said, I got a big radio. I got batteries for it. And I'll bring it, man. I can, I can do all the music. And they're like, nah, man, we really don't want it. We, we, we nah. When are you guys camping? Well, we don't, we, we don't know. Will you tell me? We'll, we'll see because we don't know where we're camping. And then they come back the next week and they went camping that weekend. You knew that feeling of rejection. And I remember in 10th grade, my mom, thank God for her, she put me on this, this diet where I lost all this, this weight and, and I played sports. And so I like um, played in a band. It's like my life changed this year and I be, began to become accepted for all the wrong reasons, right? Because I could now drink everybody and party. They all invited me out. I brought my radio on the second camping trip. <laughs> they all listened to it and I was everybody's friend. But do you know what happened to me? I fell into drug addiction because I wanted to be accepted. I fell into wrong relationships because I wanted to be accepted. And when I got saved, check this out. When I got saved, I think God's first test was, will you face rejection? Because I lost every friend that I had. I got called names. They would call me on Fridays like, hey, man, we got an eight ball of cocaine. We're snorting it up. What you doing? I'm like, man, I'm reading the Bible. They're like, you're crazy. Hang up. Friday nights, 20 years old, reading the Bible, sitting at home. Rejected. I, and God, I believe God wanted to, to show me that if you're going to live for me, you've got to learn to face rejection and not to have any friends and let me be your only friend for a season. Rejection is going to happen to us all, and it happened to me, and it happened to Jeff to here. I know it's happened to you. And here's the second point this morning. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you at that. Look at verse 3. And the second point is this. Rejection responded to correctly can empower you. Rejection responded to correctly can empower you. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. Somebody say Tob. That's a weird place to live. Almost like Turkey. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. That word tab there, that they sent him to this, this deserted land, you know what the root word of that is in the Hebrew? It means good. The very place that he was rejected by his family and his friends is this place called Tob, which actually meant good. Now, he didn't do good things there. He went out raiding with a bunch of worthless men. But I want you to understand that Jephthah's abilities and Jephthah's skills to battle were learned in the land of Tob. He never would have learned that unless he would have been rejected. And so he responded to the rejection, I wouldn't say um, holy and godly, but he responded correctly where he said, look, man, I'm, I'm going to learn something if I'm out here in the land of Tob. I've told you this and you've got to receive this. And God's pleased because in America we live in a victim mentality. We keep blaming people 30 years ago for our condition today. I'm that way because so-and-so did this to me. Let me just say this. Life is only 10% what happens to you. Are you checking with me here? Are you tracking? Are you here? But it's 90% how you respond. Life is only 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. And it's learning to respond correctly to all the things that happen to you and that go on in your life. Let me ask you this. What is your land of Tob? 
See, some of you have been cursing God and asking him to deliver you from this place called Tob, but it's actually a good place where God is developing you and God is strengthening you and God is teaching you skills. I don't know what your Tob is right now where you've been rejected, but I believe God is using Tob kind of like a boot camp. Now, now, we have military folks that are here usually uh, each week. I don't pretend to be a, be a military guy, but you know what boot camp is? Everybody ever been through boot camp? Okay, then you could tell me more about it than I could tell you, but I'm going to show you my observation. In boot camp, they take somebody who is out of shape, has no discipline or structure, and for week after week after week, what do they do? Run them. Run them. Climb. No sleep. Don't eat much. I mean, it's like they are putting you through Hades, right? And guys get out of that and they're like, what in the world? But you know what boot camp's for? It's to train you so you can actually go to the battlefield. And a lot of us want God to do great things in our life, but we're not willing to go through boot camp. And that's what the land of Tob is. It's a place of where we're going through boot camp and God's actually training us. And, and see, your rejection, God is using it for something better than you can actually see. Some of you got let off from a job, and because you were rejecting that job, God's going to give you a, a job that you never thought that you would have before. Amen? Relationships. You thought that that person was the, was the best one ever, but you were actually living with uh, somebody sorry and dating somebody sorry. God has somebody better for you. You may have had your husband or wife walk out in an adulterous affair, but can I tell you something? They walked out. God's going to bring Mr. or Mrs. Wright in the door. You've got to trust God with that. You got to learn to respond correctly when those things hit. Now I told you about my rejection, but after I got saved, when I, when I got saved, I said I had no friends. Um, I didn't date anybody for five years after I got saved. This is a twenty-year-old guy. This isn't like you know. I, I, I mean, this is like prime time for dating, right? A lot of the times, you know, I spent alone reading the Bible and studying. I found theology books and began to read them. My pastor thought I was crazy because I, when I got saved, I had leopard print hair and piercings. I skateboarded. I didn't look like a, a church kid. I'd have been that weird guy on the front row praising God but looked really different. You're trying to figure his story out. But you know, the whole time in my life, I realized God was using the rejection to train me. When I was rejected as a child, I couldn't go on camping trips. I, was, I drew all the time. I had, I had books and books of drawings. I played sports nonstop. I actually did my homework. Crazy as it sounds. And God used all that to position me for the place that I am today. And listen, when I was rejected, after I got saved, I wouldn't have met my wife and been pure for her if I would have been out trying to get acceptance from everybody else. And that rejection that seemed bad, and I didn't date anybody, and people at work made fun of me, people laughed at me, but I said, man, I'm waiting for the person God has for me. And sure enough, she came. And God used that to position and to train me. It's like boot camp. And my rejection was God's gift, not his curse. Is anybody here with me this morning? Is this okay? Y'all doing all right? Okay. Uh, I, I put this this week on Facebook. and it's Jesus allowed his, re his rejection to become his resurrection. Jesus allowed his rejection to become his resurrection. Now, I'm not saying that... that your rejection can be compared to Jesus because he was nailed to a cross, right? He was beaten. Uh, none of us have, been, have had that happen recently, right? Anybody nailed to a cross? Okay, good. Check. Um, his glorification was that everybody was saved, you know, that, that would receive him, that would call upon his name. Now, I don't think your benefit of rejection would ever help that much in the world. Everybody agree? Okay, we're on the same page. But there's a principle here that you've got to understand that we have a high priest 
that can identify with everything that you're going through. If you say, well, I was rejected and I got betrayed, Jesus is like, me too. I I know how you feel. Well, you know what? I was beaten and and, and people didn't like me. Well, I, I know how you feel. But Jesus, unless he would have been betrayed and rejected, he never would have had the resurrection. That was part of God's plan for his life was, because we look at the passion and we're like crying, man. We're like, oh my God, this is terrible. And granted, yes, it's, it's really bad when you watch that and you should be emotional. But I think sometimes we're emotional for the wrong thing. It's bad that he got beat, but do you understand that, that if that wouldn't have happened, he never would have had the glorification? And some of us don't like the cross because the cross represents rejection in our life. But let me tell you something. If you, if you respond correctly to your rejection and to things that happen in your life, I promise you, listen to me, God will turn that rejection into a resurrection. But it's how you respond to it. And Jesus said, God, I, I, I want to be in your will no matter what it costs me in my life. In Psalms, it says this here. I, this is my favorite verses right here. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give this to you. In Psalms, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto my Lord, that's, that's Jesus speaking there, I will make all your enemies your footstool. Do you know what a footstool is? Anybody got any idea what a footstool is? Okay, good. Okay, everybody's awake in here. I just want to make sure I can use your brain. When I was younger, I was short. And yet I'm not short anymore, as you can tell. God, God gave me the gift of height. But at, when I was younger, I was short, right? That's why I have to stand on stage and preach. So nobody can see me if I get down here. Um, but mom would give me a footstool. And this footstool would help me reach pots and pans and everything else. I could reach somewhere that I couldn't reach before because of a footstool. And the Bible says, I will make your enemies your footstool. Do you know what the Lord is really saying there? Is that if you respond correctly to enemies, it can elevate your life to a place you never would have been before. If you understand that God's trying to bring you to a new level and he'll use your enemies to do it in your life. God will use trouble, he'll use people, he'll use enemies. And you're thinking the whole time God is allowing you to go through this because he's mad at you. He's not mad at you, he just wants to elevate you. But if he never gives you an enemy, you can never have a footstool and you'll never go to a new level. Is anybody here this morning? Amen? Amen. Help, help me out a little bit. If y'all don't talk to me, I feel like, I'm a, like I am the dumbest man on the planet up here talking. Help me out a little bit. Jephthah used that as an opportunity. He used that place as a footstool to go to a new level. Tob was a place of training. Here's your third point to write in your notes this morning. And this is probably the most powerful point that's going to hit home. Point number three, verse number four. Rejection not dealt with will sabotage God opportunities. Rejection not dealt with will sabotage God opportunities. And look at verse four. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. That was his folks, Israel. They kicked him out, right? And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Do you get the picture here? It's everybody using their holy imagination. Good. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. And Jephthah said, I ain't going to help you. I refuse to go help you. You can die in your country. I don't care. That's not what it says, is it? 
But that's how we would have done. Because this was his chance to, to, to get them. This was Jephthah's chance to exact revenge upon them. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? I mean, in case you don't remember, this is why I'm in Tob, because of y'all. Why have you come to me now that you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah had the chance to get them back. And that's what we're told, aren't we? Revenge. Come on, y'all. You watch movies where you're hoping that the, the person will get revenge on the person that did them wrong, right? We watch movies and, and, and we watch, there's a show even called Revenge. I haven't seen it, but I just saw commercials. It's called Revenge. We're all about revenge in America. Let's get them back. This is the time I want to watch them die as they fight against the people of Ammon. I'm going to get popcorn and watch it, but I refuse to help them. That's what he could have done to them. He, he could have put them in that place where rejection and hurt and insecurity could have guided Jephthah, but Jephthah let his call guide him, not the rejection. And see, listen, so many of us have been so hurt and damaged that when a God opportunity comes, we squish it. Some of us have been so hurt and we've never healed from it that when the right relationships walks through the door, guess what we do? We close the door on it. Or we, or we begin to sabotage relationships. I have seen it, guys, with my own eyes. I'm, this is something I'm telling you. I've seen people where, where, where the right relationships walk in and things are great and then they begin to sabotage it subconsciously because they've been so hurt and so damaged that they can't receive the relationship. And many of us, when God brings an opportunity, we've been so hurt that we can't walk through that. And a spirit of rejection will always cause you to sabotage God's plan because you will always seek to return hurt. Jesus knew that he was going to have a bunch of Christians that would still live with hurts. And that's why he said... Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. That's, that's weird, isn't it? Love those who cut you off in traffic and, and bless them. Um, I, I, in Richmond, I guess they have a special one-finger blessing that they give everybody who cuts them off in traffic because I get that all the time. So I feel like I'm, I'm blessed. But you've got to realize that hurting people hurt people. I'm going to tell you something, man. I'm going to be real with you. I may have to sit down for this. You may need to pick over your neighbor's shoulder to even look at me. I didn't know Christians could be so mean. Can I just be real? I've been saved 13 years. I didn't, I didn't really grow up in the church. I, it, it amazes me. It amazes me. I, I just never thought that people could do the stuff that they would do. My wife and I, when we first got into ministry, like we, went, we were youth pastors of this church, and we could not believe the things that they were doing to the pastor and to the staff. Couldn't believe, I mean, if I told you, you may not believe it. And what I've seen over and over again is that the more that you're hurt, the more that you want to exact hurt. And when we're in Florida, it's like God sent, I guess that was my land of Tob or whatever, because everybody there was hurt. They would come in. I remember one conversation. <laughs> this guy came in, and we have a process here. I've learned a whole lot since those days. This guy came in, and he was going to help us with worship. Number one, you, you don't step into a, a pew then step on the worship team. That, that doesn't happen, just, just so you know. Because they get on stage before I do. 
and it's a very important thing that happens. And so anyway, we needed people. We had a church plant with nobody in it. And so the second week this guy came, he said, I'd like to take you and your wife to dinner. I said, that's a very nice gesture. Let me go ahead and just give you, we're, we're great friends at this day. We're really good friends now. But over dinner, here's what this guy said to us. She remembers it like it was yesterday. He even bought our meal and stuff. He said, well, um, you said a couple of phrases that the last church I came from used the same phrase. And, and the phrase was, and it was something like, hey, you know, somebody help me out. Just something basic preachers say. We all have these cliches we say. I mean, it's not a secret. He says, my last pastor said that. He was very prideful and he was a very mean man. And he, he says, and, and, and I just think you need to stop saying that because I just sense that you're mean and prideful. I'm like, whoa, bro, I don't know you. And, and he kept on home. So I'm driving him home because I mean, you don't tell somebody that you don't have a ride. I mean, he need, to, he need to drive him home. I'm driving this guy home. And I just said, and, and his name's Keith. And Keith would, 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 you know, he'd laugh about it today. I said, hey, man, let me tell you something. I said, number one, I am not blank, blank. That was a guy's name. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not blank, blank. And, and I don't think I need to be punished for what he did. I know I have issues. I'm not claiming to be perfect. But, man, what I see is if you don't overcome your bitterness, you're going to keep sabotaging every opportunity you walk into. Because we're, we're not that church, and I'm not that guy. And you know what? He led worship for us for almost two years and was a great friend. But I had to have that conversation with him. And I've had to have conversations with people over and over again. Because when you get hurt by, by a church or by somebody or something, you carry that with you. That's why you've got to deal with baggage before you walk into the next season. Because you'll bring that baggage with you. And you'll sabotage the God opportunities that he has for you. And here's, I've seen it over and over again. Um, I, I saw this on Facebook. And I, I love observing on Facebook. I love it to death. I, I'm, 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 I'm big in sociology. I love to see how people interact. I love it. I eat popcorn and watch it sometimes. Oh, this is good. That's a good fight. Let me, let me watch this one. I'm joking. I don't do that. But one thing that, that I saw was that I, this person had been hurt by church. And so the post was this. Okay, so we go to a building each week. We put money in the offering to keep a building going. And then the building stays there. And the people come back. And they keep, and they're saying all, you know, all this stuff. And going on, 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 on. You know, number one, it's not about the building. It's about people. But it's good to have a building because people can't, you know, it's hard to gather without meeting somewhere unless you want to do it under a tree. They want to do it. It's cool. And went on and on and on. And here's what I really felt. I'm not saying God said this or gave this to me. I am not saying that. But can I just be real with you for a second? Why is it in church world we lose all logic and common sense about life? We do. It's like we step in church. It's like we become separated from life. And we become really, and, and I'm not saying you guys are this because this is the people that you know but not you. We become logical idiots. We become idiots. We really do. Stuff that we would never do anywhere else, we do at church and think about, right? Now, I don't have time to get into all this. That's a whole different story. I have one guy said, well, the church is not a business. You, no, no, you're exactly right. It's not. It's, it's better than a business because it's the kingdom. And it's God's money for God's purposes. Amen? Amen. See, we would say stuff like that. Well, church isn't a business. No, it's not. And everybody recognizes that. Thanks, prophet, obvious. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add to, to the conversation? <laughs> but, but think about this, okay? Let's, let's, let's use your whole imagination for a second. You go to a steak restaurant. You go to the steak restaurant, and you've heard it's good, and you go there, and you eat there several times. 
And on your fourth time, the steak is terrible. Not only is the steak bad, the service is terrible. And not only is the service bad, but the manager comes out and the manager's mean to you too. Now, have you ever had that happen before? Yes, I have. I mean, it's like everything that night goes wrong. And you're so infuriated that you, you paid money for the steak. You're sitting here and, 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 and they're treating you like this. Now, let's just, again, use our common sense. How many people would then go, help me here, and say, I will never go to a steak restaurant ever again? All they want is your money, a steak restaurant. You go there, you pay for the steak, you get the food, and then they, I mean, they, they, they do all that. And then you're mad, you know what? I'm on a campaign to trash every steak restaurant in the world now. I think steak restaurants should be outlawed and banned because that one steak restaurant was bad, had a bad experience, and the manager was mean to me. Has anybody ever done that? But that's what we do at church, right? I went to that church, I've been there several times, several years, whatever, and I was treated bad, they did me wrong, it was bad, so now therefore every church is bad everywhere all the time. Only in Christianity do we do that. But we don't do that anywhere else, right? And if we don't deal with that hurt and understand how to process it, we will be paranoid and overcautious and every relationship will be in trouble. And here's what I put, and this, I want you to write this in your notes here. If you're not taking notes, you need to try to memorize this. Like say it seven times to, your, to, to the person next to you so you can keep getting it or to yourself. Rejection from a previous relationship, you follow me, should never dictate the rules of a pending relationship. Rejection from a previous relationship should never dictate the rules of a pending relationship. That means if somebody hurt you, stop making everybody pay for what somebody did to you years ago. Your spouse does not deserve to be hurt and abused verbally and going through the stuff they go through because somebody hurt you years ago. And that's what happens. We walk into the future and what God has for us and the plans and the, he wants to prosper us and use us. And we walk into it and then we make everybody pay around us because we never dealt with that before. Let God heal that. That's what we've been, we've been singing healing songs all, all, uh, all month. You're thinking, man, I don't have anything wrong with me physically. I'm pretty good. I don't need any healing. But hey, healing's here. It goes beyond that, friends. Where you begin to say, God, I want you to heal my heart. Heal the wounds. Heal the hurt. My dad was very perfectionistic. He is not a, maybe he's not a very uh, outgoing, emotional, loving man. I mean, he now says I love you a lot because my mom's passed away. And I think he realizes we've about all he's got left. I love my dad dearly. But when I grew up, he was very perfectionistic. He put standards on me. If I brought in a 94, he'd say, well, son, you could have done 96. If I brought in a 98, well, you could have done this. And I always feel like I could never get dad's approval in my life. And I'll never forget when God began to, to heal me of that. And I was in college, and a professor helped me with this. And you know, the, there's two ways to get healed. Number one is truth, and I hope today you're receiving truth. But number two is experience, experiencing this. My professor said to me, because I turned this paper in and got a zero, because I didn't put one statement on it. Right? It was an A, but then he marked up put a zero because I missed one statement. The statement was, I have thoughtfully and thoroughly completed all the steps that you've asked me to do. I didn't do it. Sounds really unfair, don't it? Well, I was walking with him from his office to our chapel. 
was like, but Dr. Looper, man, I mean, I'm just, man, I'm so mad. I worked so hard. And I kept really beating myself up. You know, Dr. Looper said this to me. He said, um, Kevin, he says, I'm not sure where you get this from, but you have standards on yourself that nobody else expects. This zero will be dropped. It doesn't matter. You wrote a great paper. You just forgot to do a step. I don't know where, where this perfectionistic mindset comes from, but you really probably need to deal with it. That was like on a two-minute walk. He didn't stop and counsel me or anything or pray with me. He just gave that. And, you know, I realized I got it from my dad. My dad my whole life did that to me. And if I didn't deal with it, I would continue to keep standards that nobody else is keeping in my life. Here's your fourth and final point this morning as we land this plane, we close it, and we can go eat leftover turkey and stuffing. Everybody said. Everybody said. Somebody's going to eat leftover turkey. Jephthah's acceptance came from God and not men. And then just read this closely here. Verse 9. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord, the Lord delivers them, the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? Now, there's something I want to insert here. Have you got enough time for me to insert something real quick? Okay, well, if you don't, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever enter a battle that you don't know what spoils you're getting. Some of y'all need to stop fighting battles, everybody. You get into battles with relationships with people and you're fighting and arguing over stuff, there's just no spoils for it. Jephthah was like, what do I win? Okay, what do I get if, if, if I do this? But here's the point I want to show to you. His acceptance came from God. He said, and the Lord delivers them to me. The Lord delivers them to me. Jephthah's acceptance came from God. He knew God would fight for him. And God would be there to be the one that would be the deliverer. I remember when I was on my first tour in my band. I played in a band and toured and sang and did stuff. We were in this venue that's called Cafe Jam. And uh, Cafe Jam on Saturdays was a venue for Christian bands. Sundays was a small church. And the pastor said this and it never left me. He said, you have got to stop letting people's thoughts of you dictate your life. He says, some of you are letting your significance live in the heads of other people. There's a point in time when you say, Lord, you're the one that accepts me. You're the one that I get acceptance from. G. Campbell Morgan, who was one of the greatest preachers that this era will ever know, wrote this here. He says that Campbell Morgan was one of the 150 young men who sought entrance to the Wesleyan ministry in 1888. Yes, yeah, a long time ago. He passed the doctoral examinations, but then he faced the trial sermon. In a cavernous auditorium that could seat more than 1,000 set three ministers and 75 others who came to listen. It was a trial sermon. It means, it means I preach and then you tell me how good I did. When Morgan stepped into the pulpit, the vast room and the searching, the critical eyes caught, up, caught him up short. Two weeks later, Morgan's name appeared upon the 105 rejected for the ministry that year. Again, one of the greatest preachers ever. Follow me here. Jill Morgan, his daughter-in-law, wrote in her book, A Man of the Word. He wired to his father after this event one word, rejected. And sat down to write in his diary, very dark everything seems, still he knows best. And quickly came the reply, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, your father. 
And some years later, Morgan said this, God said to me in the weeks of loneliness and darkness that followed of this rejection, I want you to cease making plans for yourself and let me plan your life. So realize this, guys. Rejection is rarely permanent, as Morgan went on to prove. And even in this life, if circumstances change, ultimately there's no rejection of those who are accepted by Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, I told you that his rejection turned into his resurrection. There's two miracles that are very important that had to happen. God's love calls Jesus to rise again. And some of you in this place where God's going to, man, God's going to rise you up, man. He's going to use you. But here's the key. God's love calls Jesus to risk again, too. What do you mean? He got deserted by all his homeboys. I mean, everybody, everybody left. They left him. Peter deserted him and cussed a little girl out in the process. I mean, come on, Peter. But you know what Jesus does after he rises in John 21? He goes to Peter and says, Peter, will you feed my lambs? I'm going to risk it all again, Peter. I was hurt. I was betrayed. I was crucified. You deserted me. But I'm going to risk again in relationships. I believe this morning there's people in here today that you're scared to risk it again. You're scared to give your whole self out because what if you do, man? What if you, what if you put yourself out there again? They may hurt you. What if I try again and it doesn't work? What if I go in that relationship and they, and they do that? What if this person steals money from them like, like, like they did before? I can't promise you you'll never be hurt again. But I can promise you that you'll find healing if you'll risk again. My wife and I have never let a hurt in ministry ever, ever stop us from doing what God's called us to do. Because I don't care. When you're around people, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to get hurt and you're going to get rejected. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? As you bow your head and close your eyes is to focus on God and to 